Welcome to the Viking Age podcast. It's the official podcast of thevikingage.com. My name is Chris Shad. I write for the Viking Age as well as Zone Coverage and Bring Me the News as well as the Brookings Register. We do this every Monday and Thursday right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel. We're also available in podcast form on Apple and Spotify the very next day. But however you consume us, please rate, comment, like, and subscribe so we can spread the word and you never miss a new episode. Today's guest on the show, he's written all over the Vikings Twitterverse, or I guess it's the X-verse or whatever hellscape it's called now. Uh, He has written for Vikings Territory Zone Coverage, the Athletic and Pro Football Network, and he has recently launched the Wide Left Substack, which you can follow at wideleftpost.substack.com. And his name is Arif Hassan. And Arif, I'm going to let you talk in just a second, but we have a very important topic to discuss here. You know, will the Vikings trade for Trey Lance? He's become available. Uh, he's out there right now. And wait, wait what am I hearing? Uh, oh, he's been he's been traded. Um, but yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, great to have you on the show, Arif. No, no problems. Here. No problems. <laughs> Uh, I'm 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 happy that the Vikings decided not to be in on the on the Trey Lance uh, sweepstakes, I guess, as it were. Um, but you know, it would have it would have been pretty entertaining had the Vikings decided to make a move for him too. I think I would have lived with either world. I I think too. I, I mean, it w- the whole thing was funny on my end because for those who don't follow me on X, uh, the zone coverage account, which does a great job by the way. I I don't want to like ro- throw anybody under the bus. I Arif, they posted this uh, tweet that said, hey, should the Vikings trade for Trey Lance? The only problem was it was Monday, like 72 hours after he had been traded to the Dallas Cowboys. And Arif said something like, um, bad news. And then like (laughs) everybody jumped on it and was starting liking it. And I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? And I was also like working. I was working on newspaper stuff and like I felt like everybody was laughing and I looked down and I was in my underwear and then I woke up and the tweet was still up and I was like, I don't know what to do. So, um, but yeah, that's why you're here because I was like, Hey, uh, since this got screwed up, uh, you want to come on the podcast and shoot some Viking steaks? And here we are. Yeah, no, it was a good opportunity for people that are like unfamiliar with how a lot of this works. Very often people will schedule these tweets in advance to like remind people, you know, that you know we've got this article up. If you missed it, you're following our socials. It's very easy to miss stuff, especially in kind of the current Twitter verse. And so we've got all these articles. We automatically put them in and then we automatically schedule them. It's very set it and forget it. But in developing situations like that, it can just it can get out of hand. So, yeah, I thought I'd have a little fun. Obviously, you know no no hard feelings or anything like that i don't think it's a sign of bad journalism or anything like that but it's just you know hey these things happen it's kind of funny and i think the best part about it is that you know i think trake lance became a powder keg and as far as like viking fans go because like so a whole bunch of people jumped on that tweet and like there's this section of like vikings fans that are if you suggest anything that they should do at the quarterback position it instantly becomes into like a slight on Kirk cousin's life like Oh, I see uh, Bart Starr's back from the dead. I think the Vikings should take a look at him. Don't you ever threaten Kirk Cousins. And if you ever threaten him again and his handlebar mustache, I will come, I will find you, and I will kill you. That That's basically how this thing works. Yeah, it's 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 always anytime you talk about the quarterback. And the thing is, you could be very complimentary of Kirk Cousins. You could say, hey, I think he's going to have an excellent year. In fact, I think he's going to be so good he's going to win the MVP. But the problem is that they're just realities on the ground you have to deal with. Not just his age, but the fact that his contract, right? 
And so if the Vikings traded for Trey Lance, this would obviously be kind of a long-term move. Maybe they pair that with a draft pick and have Jaron Hall, Trey Lance, and a draft pick compete to, to start the next year. Like that would obviously be what's happening. It's not necessarily a dig on Cousins, but anytime you have a discussion about you know what might happen at the quarterback position. A lot of people are very quick to defend Cousins, or even if you if you talk about you know ways the Vikings could extend Cousins, you know people on the other side of that coin are very willing to just be like, why are you accepting mediocrity? Like, what are you doing here? And it, it's 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 tough to have these conversations, but I mean, I guess that's why they're fans, right? It's, it's passion. Exactly. Like if they, if they didn't act that way, you know, the Vikings would just be another football team that has wildly entertaining games for good or for bad. Well, we are expecting them to do the same in 2023. And now we know who will be on the team when they do take the field on September uh, 10th against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, The 53 man roster was released yesterday. I'm not going to read the roster verbatim because it would just sound like I'm reading a phone book on the air. But uh, Arif also wrote 3,000 words on the roster over at the wide left Substack. So I'm just going to dive right into it right now, even though we have a couple of moves uh, to talk about that have happened in the last 24 hours. But what was your biggest surprise when it came to the 53-man roster, uh, either right now or when it dropped yesterday? Yeah, I think that if you take a look at the way people projected the roster um, across um, you know, the Vikings media, you know, universe. Um, I think that you could probably say that Nick Muse was one of the surprises. Personally, I didn't find it that surprising. I had always kind of projected that they would have four tight ends because I, I thought the Vikings were genuine in wanting to put forth, you know, 12 personnel much more often to have a two tight end offense, to be heavier in a lot of situations, to have that fullback in there, to have three big bodies in addition to the offensive line. It didn't surprise me, but it was something that I think a lot of people were surprised by. And I think the clue actually should have been that third preseason game, Muse played only the, I think the first two drives or something like that. He was out of the game pretty quickly, right? And so you got Ben Sims, who unfortunately, you know, he was claimed off of waivers. He was a guy that I wanted on the practice squad. Um, But, you know, Ben Sims and Colin Thompson playing most of the game at tight end. So a surprise to a lot of people, probably the biggest surprise there um, I know that Jaron Hall was only in about half of roster projections again because of the third quarterback rule. I thought, you know, he was a shoe in to make it. And after that third preseason game, Kevin O'Connell basically said, Hey, third quarterback rule, we love Jaron Hall as our third quarterback. I came just outright saying that Hall was going to make the roster, especially after a game like that where he was just spectacular. Um, that made a lot of sense. Najee Thompson, same thing. I put him on my 53. Many people did not. I think that that kind of came as a surprise, especially surprising because initial reporting was that he was cut and he wasn't. Yeah, um, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of Twitter, uh, miscues, yes, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you know that that kind of that kind of again that just kind of the stuff that happens. Um, maybe for me personally, the biggest surprise is that Luigi Villain did not make the yeah. roster with Andre Carter making it ahead of him, despite you know Villain having, in my opinion, a far better preseason and, from my understanding, uh, a much better camp. Um, you know, and I, I kind of dove into it a little bit and I was like, well, what's kind of, you know, the upside situation for a lot of these guys and height tends to matter a lot at edge rusher. That's why, you know, you don't see a lot of six foot tall edge rushers and, and Villain is six, two and Andre Carter is six, five, um, but they're the same weight. Uh, Villain actually has slightly longer arms, slightly shorter wingspan, but slightly longer arms and actually had just marginally better testing a little bit faster than the 40, a little bit faster, faster than the 10 split. Um, actually quite a bit better in the explosives and I believe a little bit slower in the agilities, but 
largely the same. So from an upside perspective, I didn't actually think that there was a huge difference between the two. But Andre Carter was so productive at Army, so productive um, that he was considered a top 100 player by many people. He was given the highest, um, you know, undrafted free agent salary as well as the highest guaranteed money among undrafted free agents. So I think in this case, the Vikings were trying to avoid a Ben Sims situation, right, where they they didn't want, you know, they wanted to keep both of them. They knew they could only keep one on the official roster and only one on the practice squad. They probably figured that Carter was more likely to get claimed off of waivers than Valaine. And, um, you know, that's, you know, Valaine did not get claimed. So, you know, they, they made they made the gamble correctly there. So I think that probably played a role there. But I do think that Valaine is the better player. We'll see kind of what game day activations look like and, and stuff like that. But I think that was probably personally the biggest surprise to me. Um, and then Joan Williams not making it, I thought was was also a bit of a surprise. I knew that he was not 100 percent to make the roster, but uh, that I think I personally would have put him on the roster. But I'm a little bit too quick to cut some guys that don't develop quickly enough. Maybe I don't have enough patience. But for me, Andrew Booth was kind of a no go. I understand yeah. why they kept him, but you know, it's when you've only got five cornerbacks and one of them is not really a cornerback. It's it's tough to find room for some of these guys. Which and he made the practice squad by the way because you can have like six vets there. So. Yeah, I the two that kind of stood out to me, you kind of mentioned them, but I'll go through them just quickly from my standpoint. You know, Andre Carter making it at edge rusher. That was a little bit of a surprise, but it, it almost wasn't because I think you look at the undrafted bonus, which it's $100,000. I mean, the NFL salary cap is what went well over 200 million right now, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, really, it's chump change when you look at it, but he's 6'5". He's got that size you were talking about, and he had insane production at Army. Looking at him as a prospect, I know there was some first-round buzz about this time a year ago about Andre Carter. Uh, or Actually, maybe. yeah, no, there was. Actually, that yeah. first-round buzz lasted all the way, I think, into January. Well, well, uh, I And then he too. just started, because I was tracking that, and he started falling. Yeah, yeah, and, and he had that weird situation where I think they had a bill where you couldn't forego your service, because if he goes to Army, he has to actually serve in the Army for like two years, I think it is. And there were there were... There was some scuttlebutt about, hey, you have to serve before you can play the NFL. And everybody's like, he's going to be a first-round pick. Like, we need to do something about this. And then he wound up being undrafted mainly because he didn't have the upper body strength that you want in an edge rusher. I think he was, if you go on mock draftable, I think he was in the zero percentile. So, like, he was the absolute bottom. He's something like 11 reps or something like that on the on the bench, which is like, that's cornerback type numbers. That's surprising right. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's a guy that you need to keep on the roster for a year. You need to develop. You need to kind of cultivate him and let him kind of try and flourish. And in a year, if he's not good to your standards, you just let him go. But like you said, you can't let him go on the practice squad after giving him that bonus. And then, you know, having another team scoop him up, develop him, and then cash in on your mistake. Yeah, exactly. And and the reason that like the signing bonus thing kind of matters is not because you know, the actual money matters, right? Because I think, you know, most signing bonuses for undrafted free agents are like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000. His was $300,000, right? It was, yeah. It's the biggest. And the reason that that matters is not because the Vikings were unwilling to to eat a $300,000 cap hit. Like, like, I mean, I think they ate that with Joan Williams, right? Like, it, yeah. it's obviously there's something that they're comfortable with. But it, it's an indication that his market was so good that other teams wanted him, right? And so there was a really good chance that, especially at a high-value position like the edge, that another team was was going to take, so he had negotiated a market well enough to be um, to be to be coveted among any other team. And like you said, the service academy stuff, 
that's always really difficult. The Patriots dealt with that with Joe Cardona, the long snapper, Diego Fago, the, the linebacker. The Vikings dealt with that. The Air Force with that long snapper, um, Austin Cutting. Yes. Um, and I know that that was a, a long-term question for, uh, was it Jalen Robinette from Air Force a while back? Like these, these things kind of keep happening. I know that Navy had a quarterback slash running back that, you know, there were some questions about. And, and the rules keep changing, um, not just across administrations, but within administrations. Like, so there was one rule, Trump changed the rule, then Trump changed the rule again. And then um, in the Biden administration, I believe it's an act of Congress this time, as opposed to an executive order um, that changed the rule once more. And it's very confusing for NFL teams. It's obviously very confusing for these players, right, that are in the spot where they don't, don't know what their future is going to look like. Um, and the definition of what counts as service changes, too. Like I know that Austin Cutting, for example, he was required right after graduation to do two years of service, but he had negotiated with the Air Force that that service would be essentially reserve slash recruiting. And so he could fulfill that service with the Vikings. But again, these definitely, and so that kind of uncertainty, plus, you know, concerns about, you know, upper body strength, concerns about, you know, overall, I mean, like he just did not have very good agility scores. Um, you know, those kinds of concerns kind of are a reason that somebody might peter out of the draft. But as soon as you get confirmation from the agent that like, you know, this is something that he might be able to actually do, given whatever the legal framework for this is at the time, you know, then he became a very coveted free agent, kind of not super similar to the Lyle Collins situation. But, you know, because Lyle Collins fell out of the draft, he was considered a top 15 pick. Uh, and he was considered a person of interest in a murder investigation. He turns out he had nothing to do with it. Um, and and it was just this news broke the day before the draft. Right. And so teams yeah. just didn't know what to do. So he fell out. And then after the second round, he was like, look, the the contract for undrafted free agents is three years. The contract for drafted players is four years. I'm going to make more money if I'm an undrafted free agent. I'm going to make it sooner. And I get to pick my team. So don't draft me. I'm not going to show up to camp if you draft me. So he goes undrafted and he earns the the highest um, era adjusted um, signing bonus in undrafted free agent history. So um, it's somewhat similar in that the uncertainty kind of drove a player that probably would have been drafted. But um, interestingly, his play in camp and his play in the preseason didn't really live up to that hype. Not that that's a huge problem as like a rookie, but like, you know, it's something to kind of consider. Um, the other interesting move as far as players that made the roster goes, uh, Nick Muse as well. The Vikings have a pretty deep tight end room with TJ Hawkinson, uh, Josh Oliver, and the world's best number three tight end, Johnny Munt. Um, I, I think it would be quite the battle, actually, to have Johnny Munt go against the world's greatest nose tackle, Shamar Stefan, but that's that's another conversation for another day. Um, I'm wondering what this move signals, because as you mentioned, you know, the Vikings have not been shy where they want to play a more physical brand of football this year, whereas you know, I would liken it. I, I'm going to go into my kind of toy department right now and like make a pro wrestling reference because like, you know, in a, in a wrestling match, you have the heel and the face, the face who is the good guy or the baby face for long. He spends half the match just getting wailed on and the heel walks around, struts his stuff and like gets the crowd to boom and stuff. But then the face at the end of the match, you know, hulks up like Hulk Hogan would, and then he'd hit his big move and then he'd wind up winning the match and everybody would go home happy. That was basically how the Vikings were last year with all of those fourth quarter comebacks where they would just get wailed on and then they would wind up, you know, pulling it out at the end. This year, I think the Vikings want to be that heel. They want to be the guy that comes out, just starts wailing on people and wear them down. So by the end of the game, they can take advantage. That means more 12 personnel. That might mean a little bit of 13 personnel if they want to get creative. There are going to be a lot heavier sets this year. 
But you also can't ignore what's going on with TJ Hawkinson and the possibility that maybe they kept Nick Muse because the, you know, TJ Hawkinson's going to come down with scurvy next week before the opener or something. Like, you know, it's the elephant in the room. And I'm kind of wondering, what do you think this signals more? Do the Vikings want to go heavy or are they really worried about this Hawkinson? Yeah, I, I think that this is really uh, about making sure that they've got enough tight ends, that they're that they're heavy in their approach and and all that. I honestly, I think this TJ Hawkinson stuff, like, you know, it's certainly a cause for concern. I think it's probably going to get resolved a little bit faster than a lot of people say. I think that when teams leak stuff like and I don't know technically who leaked it, but I suspect it was the Vikings leak stuff like, um, yeah, I, you know, he's trying to reset the tight end market, you know, essentially manipulating um, the public or negotiating in public that like his demands don't make sense or whatever, and that they have to come closer to to the Vikings when they do stuff like that. um, We're at basically kind of the end point of negotiations. They go public at the end, right? You know, they don't start their negotiations in public unless it's like a weird situation like with Lamar Jackson, right? So like that's, you know, one of those scenarios where it's like they're probably close to, you know, do or die on some of the key figures in the contract. Uh, And I think it'll probably get resolved. Um, I The Vikings have been extremely stingy about some of this stuff while at the same time handing out big money to players that are mostly unknowns. Josh Oliver's only had one good season. Byron Murphy is coming off of a um, off of an injury. Uh, Marcus Davenport is coming off of a really bad season, right? Um, players that, um, for whatever reason, are undervalued by the market, but they're still throwing a lot of money at it. And you've got TJ Hawkinson who's produced for four years, instantly produced as soon as he showed up at the Vikings, despite not knowing the playbook. And it feels a little bit disrespectful. Um, so I can see why you know, Hawkinson would be kind of upset or Hawkinson's agent at least would be a little bit upset. But um, I think the Vikings are very methodical in their approach to this sort of thing. They certainly have enough cap space this year and next year to kind of figure out a long-term deal, especially if they get the Jefferson stuff done before the season, which it sounds like they want to. And I was talking to somebody uh, the other day about the Hawkinson thing. And they're like, I don't understand why he wants to reset the market. I think this is kind of just a strategic thing where, you know, the first rule of negotiation is to ask for more than you actually want, right? And if they come back a little bit down, you kind of go, okay, yeah, whatever. The reason he wants to reset this market is, A, not only is he probably the best tight end that is eligible for a contract extension right now, next year, if they slap the franchise tag and kick this thing down uh, another week, uh, they will... Sorry, I just got a text from somebody as I'm like trying to finish my thoughts yeah but um if they kick this down the road george kittle might need a new extension because he doesn't have any more guaranteed money on his contract and travis kelsey might get another deal that ensures he retires a chief because he also does not have money on his contract so i mean this is maybe like a window like hey let's try and get through this window see what it is and if we can't get it let's get something close to that because i i think you're right when you do say Hey, you know, teams only link stuff at the end. They don't come out and be like, we our opening offer to TJ Hawkinson was four years, 64 million. And what? no, 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 it it doesn't work that way. So I I do think maybe it comes to an end. I I think it's very valid for people to kind of be like, I don't know if this is going to get done because Quasi has yet to hand out a long term extension so far. 
Yeah. And, and it's important to like put the market in that context. That's a really good point. So if you take a look at um, Kittle and Kelsey, and we can throw Mark Andrews in there as well. Um, you know, they're three of the the top five, I want to say, in, in average money. They all signed their contracts in 2020 or their extensions, right? So all, all three of them have, have deals that come out of 2020. Well, the cap has increased substantially since then, as mm. it does every year, right? Uh, and so what they earned in 2020 is not what they would earn on the open market now in 2023. And so they, Hawkinson might, you know, end up in a situation where he gets more per year than uh, than someone like Kelsey or Kittle, which is around, I want to say 15 million, but it would occupy less space against the cap than they did when they signed. And so you can set the market without commanding the kind of attention from a salary cap perspective that those tight ends did. Now, the one exception to like the guys who are at the top end of, of tight end money um, Darren Waller, who just signed an extension with um, the New York Giants, he did it in 2023 and for 17 and million. He's the highest paid tight end in average annual salary. Uh, I think also in terms of like first three year cash flow, which is the thing that really matters. Um, he might also be at the top there. Um, but the largest deal was signed by Kittle. But as you pointed out, a lot of that's unguaranteed. And so the Vikings can actually so if the, if if, Kittle, if if Hawkinson is like really set on this idea of like, setting the the tight end market. There's a lot of ways you could do that. You could do that in terms of signing bonus. You could do that in terms of total money. You could do it in terms of total guaranteed money, or you could do it in terms of average per year. A lot of ways that you can do it. And the Vikings could, in theory, offer Hawkinson a fair deal that also happens to give him the most total money in a contract that a tight end has ever signed. But the final three years of that deal might not be guaranteed. They might explode. There might be void years at the end that you know, uh, alleviate the cap, but get him, give him signing bonus money immediately, you know, stuff like that. So um, I don't think they're in like a, a place where it is difficult for them to do something like, quote unquote, reset the tight end market without, you know, they don't have to hurt themselves at the same time. So um, there's, I mean, contract negotiations are always really difficult to break down, especially as you get into the minutiae like this. But I, I do think that, you know, the Vikings see a lot of value in Hawkinson. You know, the way that Jefferson's production changed after Hawkinson arrived, you know, I think his yards per game was relatively similar, but it was his his passes came deeper downfield. His average depth of target increased whenever Hawkinson was on the field, you know, which we didn't see that effect with Adam Thielen or KJ Osborne. You know, Hawkinson was taking coverage away from the top, and so they were able to run Jefferson over the top and target him. So they were able to get him bigger plays that mattered more. Um, and I, they know that they value that. And so I think that they don't want to undercut themselves when it comes to some of these other players that might be up for an extension. Like, you know, what if Marcus Davenport has a great year? Oh no. Uh Oh, now you have to extend him, right? He's (laughs) a one year contract. So like, um, you know, obviously that's not really a worst case scenario, but it's one you have to consider. Right. And so they want to protect themselves in that situation. They have no idea what's going to happen on the quarterback market for themselves. Um, they've got tons of players hitting free agency next year, in part because of all these one year contracts. But also a lot of a lot of players um, have uh, have their deals expiring. You know, players like I think Daniel Hunter only signed it for this year. Right. Like, I don't think he's got a long term deal with the Vikings. So you've got you've got to deal with all of this stuff. They've got so many players hitting free agency. So it, they have to balance all of that out and make sure that their cap hit is managed next year and the year after. Yes, and that cap is going to play a big role, not only down the line, but right now as 
you know, the Vikings are still making moves. They're still adding guys. Uh, they signed Miles Gaskin this morning. Uh, they also signed David Questenberry, who was cut by the Buffalo Bills. I was just kind of looking at uh, some of the headlines uh, over there, and one of them actually says, Vikings address offensive line problem by signing Questenberry. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. But let, let's start. Well, yeah, let's start talking about it now. What do you think is the biggest weakness with this team heading into the season? Like for me, it's offensive line, but what do you think? Uh, it, it really kind of depends on the secondary, right? Like I think because it's it's so many unproven players, right? Caleb Evans only played a couple of games. Kai Blackman is a rookie. Uh, Byron Murphy, again, he's coming off of an injury. He looked great, absolutely great in camp, but he's also had about a year and a half of high-level production. He wasn't this astounding corner coming out of the draft or as a rookie or as a second-year player. Um, and so I think that there is a legitimate concern to say there's just a lot of unknowns in that secondary, and they don't really have the depth to handle injuries, right? Because the only depth corner you have right now is Andrew Booth, who is the most injured player in the history of the world, right? Like, it's so tough <laughs> to, like... Become, he's been injured since high school. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, it's so tough to be comfortable with like the way that that cornerback room is shaking out. So even if you're confident that Makai Blackman has this great ceiling as a nickel corner, if you're really confident that Byron Murphy is going to play to the level of his contract, if you're confident that a Caleb Evans can live up to those flashes, even with all of that, even if you give like them all of the positives on these coin flips, there's still concern about injury. There's still concern about you know mismatches in size. Like the Vikings. Like a Caleb Evans is the tall corner, right? They don't like if they're up against like a Cincinnati Bengals that have more than one tall. What do they do? Do they throw Andrew Booth out there, right? Like that's a that's a really difficult situation. So the offensive line is certainly concerned. That interior, you know, I wonder about it. Ed Ingram needs to make big improvements. He did in that first preseason game, which was nice. One mistake, but otherwise played really well. Um, but you just don't know there. And so I get it. I totally understand. I think the offensive line is up there. But the two elite tackles. Plus, you know, in theory, Garrett Bradbury's increased level of play from last year, maybe that translates going forward. There's uh, something there that's at least steady that'll allow you, you know, some options, whether it forces you to roll out and, you know, depend a lot on those tackles to defend you on those on those bootlegs or, or whatever. There's something there with that secondary. If it, if it doesn't live up to expectations, if two of those three players are just not starting quality, which is entirely in the cards, you're going to get roasted every game. You look at everybody in that secondary and they all have injury concerns, right? Like, like, especially at yeah. cornerback, it's like, you know, Byron Murphy missed a year and a half, you know, that that's not great. Uh, Caleb Evans has three concussions. Also not good. Andrew Booth, you, you know, I, Booth. I made the joke that he might, he might, yeah, he might as well just like said during his introductory press conference. Yeah. I just got done burying a body in the back because that's about as alarming as I've been injured since high school. Um, you know, Juwan Williams, even if he made the team, he missed all of last year with an injury. Like there are so many questions there. I think the offensive line has been thrown to the forefront, uh, especially since the quarterback co documentary came out, because I think a lot of people wound up seeing like how bad it got for Kirk Cousins, like getting his ribs bashed in on a weekly basis and have Ezra Cleveland walk over and say, well, sorry, Kirk, here you go. Like, I, I wonder, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that's nice about Kirk is that he's there to play every game. He shows up, you know, whether he needs to get stretched or whatever. I mean, durability is not a question mark with Kirk Cousins, but you also can't take that as you can't take that for granted. And I mean, they're returning all five starters across the offensive line. That's good. 
but it, but it's really only a name because two of them allowed the most pressures in the NFL a year ago. Then you have some depth problem. Oli Udo did Oli Udo stuff during the preseason, giving up those uh, sacks. And then uh, Quesenberry, or I'm still trying to get the name in my head because I didn't put it on the outline because it happened just before we recorded here. But I mean, Quesenberry, I am not going to get excited that the offensive line is fixed because they went and they signed a guy that somebody else cut. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they could come out, they could look a lot better, but week one, we're going to find out a lot of stuff because Vita Vea is standing right across from that interior to the offensive line. And, you know, if Kirk's going to get his ribs hurt, I would prefer it not have it happen in week one, but I guess we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, obviously a huge issue, right? He was the most hit quarterback in the NFL last year, something that I think the documentary explicitly stated, but also you check all the stats. It is true, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's difficult because uh, Questenberry um, is almost certainly just a depth guy for probably while Chris Reed is out. And then my guess is that Questenberry is probably going to get moved off the roster when Chris Reed comes off of pop. That, that's my guess. So I don't think that this is like a huge move. But like you said, he was cut off of an offensive line. He was cut off another team. And it wasn't like a team that is chock full of depth along the offensive line either not many teams are right like basically if someone's cut from the eagles you can just be like yeah actually maybe this guy might work out like that's fair right but you know the all of these other teams you're just like i don't know <laughs> yeah um, Quesenberry has been all right in the limited play that he's had in the regular season you know he was originally drafted by the texans i think they cut him he played on the titans for a year and then he was with the bills in and out i don't think that he's played um like the last three or four years i don't think he's played over 100 snaps in a single season so it's not as if he's ever demonstrated starting talent but he's not been that bad compared to say Oli Udo at guard right so um, in that sense, it's an upgrade, but it's not somebody that like if if Ed Ingram, it just continues to struggle. Let's say that that preseason stuff was whatever. It was only like 15 snaps. Right. If that was whatever. Right. And he continues to struggle. It's not as if you can say, hey, we've got, you know, this guy that's going to be able to replace him. I'm like, no, you're you're in a really tough spot. So, you know, that that that's obviously a, a pretty big concern. And then Ezra Cleveland, of course, you know, he's he's been up and down. I actually tend to think of him as kind of an above average NFL guard. But you're right that that pressure total is really alarming. And you hope that that doesn't continue like this. I would consider a down year for him after having moved to the left side again from the right side earlier. Um, it, I, I I don't know that the Vikings can have a solution if it, if they find out that like, continuity is not the answer like you can't just solve your offensive line issues by being continuous right it's, it's the same guys that caused the problem last year that said Kirk Cousins is known for holding out of the ball a fair amount it's probably a reason that they didn't do that much play action relative to his career um because you hold on to the ball longer in play action the pressure arrives and you might get hit a little bit more often and he was already seeing enough of that so um all of that probably kind of plays a role in how a lot of the season played out, but certainly doesn't feel like the Vikings were aggressive about making sure that they could fix that offensive line, which by the way, I think one of the free agents that I mentioned next year, I think one of them is Ezra Cleveland. So um, yes, they, they could somewhat easily, you know, maybe next year draft a guard in the second round or something like that. Um, and, and maybe just kind of move on, but you might be stuck with that Ingram for a while. They might've been tricked by Garrett Bradbury. You know, maybe that was a fluke year, right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to, to navigate that, but they wanted to make sure, I mean, they didn't have a ton of draft picks. They wanted to make sure that, you know, they, they had a replacement for Adam Thielen. They had some answers on the defense and and rotated through that cornerback group. So you can't fix every problem. And I think one of the 
places where they thought they had an answer was at the running back position as well. I know that you are a member of the analytic community. So, you know, running backs, you want to pay them cheap, you want to use them up and you want to go on to the next one. It's why three kickers were traded for yesterday and nobody traded for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Although the Packers were involved, which pretty much makes them the Minnesota twins of the NFL because they're in on everybody. They never make a move. Um, So that's always fun. Um, Let's talk about the running back because Alexander Madison, they go out last year. He has a career low in carries behind Dalvin Cook. He hits free agency. Everybody thinks he's gone. And then he re-signs at a cheap deal. Uh, They draft Dwayne McBride in the seventh round. But, um, you know, you can draft a seventh round running back, but they all can't be Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, like seventh round, so cheap. He plays with Mahomes. Oh. And then you have Miles Gaskin coming in on Tuesday morning. You know, they might be fine in the backfield, but coming into the season, I need to see this group perform because I have a lot of questions. How about you? I, I, I think it's fair. I mean, uh, Madison has, over the course of his career, played all right. The past two years, I have not been as encouraging. Um, his skill in avoiding negative plays that I'm not going to say it evaporated or anything last year, but it wasn't as present as we're used to seeing. But like you said, he had a career low in carries. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's just a sample size issue. Um, but, you know, you, if that's gone, then he doesn't really have a ton to offer, right? I mean, he is a decent pass protector when he knows his assignment, which over the last two years, he's done a better job kind of figuring out what, what he needs to do in pass protection. And he's actually a very capable receiver. He's got very good hands. But as a runner, there's not much because he doesn't create explosive plays. He just doesn't, right? Like if, if you get a 17-yard run out of him, that might he might be tapped out, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he, in other ways, he's ridiculously athletic. Like he's very good at hurdling people. His jump cuts are magnificent. Like he's a very good athlete in some senses, but he just doesn't have breakaway speed. And so if you don't have his ability to avoid negatives, you don't have a lot. You know, Adrian Peterson made up for the negatives with the huge positives. And Dalvin Cook, kind of similar. Um, that is going to have to be part of his role, is making sure that they grind out at least two yards in every possible carry, and then any anything more than that uh, is going to be a bonus, right? It's going to be something that he gets with the strength and his vision and his, and his and ex- explosiveness, right? So, like, that's something that, um, you know, you hope to see, but we haven't seen over the past two years. And so that's a little bit of a question mark. Ty Chandler, I like him a lot. I thought that he showcased some really excellent, I mean, his statistics in the preseason were not good, but I thought on film, you know, you take that out of it. I thought he showcased some excellent stuff. I mean, he was getting harassed in the backfield when the backup and backup backup offensive lines were just folding. Um, And he did a pretty good job avoiding tackles. I think that when the blocking was there, he did a pretty good job finding the space that was necessary for him. But again, it's kind of an unknown. He was a receiving back, basically at UNC, even though he's got the size to be a three down guy. Can he be a running back? Kenny Wongwu, injured for most of training camp, doesn't have a ton of running back experience. I don't like what I see on film from him in terms of running back vision, in terms of his balance. I think that he's mostly a speed guy that needs to process faster in order to be an effective running back. Um, So I don't know. So getting Miles Gaskin in there, I think, helps resolve a lot of those concerns because he's a proven producer. He led the Dolphins in, in rushing yards last year. He had a really good preseason this year. Um, you know, he's somebody that that is genuinely a very capable back. And that might be all you need in order for that like running back core, that committee, to feel a little bit more solid. Because I felt like there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of upside, tons of upside. 
but a lot of uncertainty about what that running back group would be. And now I think that you've got maybe a floor in terms of production because Gaskin has um, explosiveness. He's got the ability to kind of read the blocks in front of him. He's got pass catching capability. There's a lot more there than, you know, hoping that Ty Chandler can actually run between the tackles. He's got the size for it, but he didn't do it a lot at UNC or hoping that Kenny Wong, who's got the ability to kind of read what's happening or hoping that, you know, Madison can actually find those chunk plays. Like that's, that's tough. Gaskin at least offers that, that certainty. And I think there's the added bonus with Gaskin that he's not exactly, I mean, hardcore fantasy football players will know who he is, but I mean, guys like, you know, they brought in Kareem Hunt, right? I mean, if I'm Alexander Madison and all of a sudden, you know, the Vikings are giving $4 million to Kareem Hunt. Oh, don't worry. He's a former NFL rushing champion, but he's just going to be your backup. Like, it'd be like, excuse me. Like (laughs) there, there would be some questions there for me. I think the Vikings backfield will be a success if they just get consistent gains. And I think, I I think that's their goal after having Dalvin cook run to the back of the offensive line, you know, where the Adrian Peterson thing, zero, one, zero, negative two, whatever, 70. Yeah. You know, they don't want that. They want more like, you know, four, six, open up the playbook a little bit and have Kevin O'Connell, you know, be able to utilize one of the strengths on this team. And as we segue into that, I think one of the best strengths is at wide receiver because you have Justin Jefferson, obviously the best receiver in the NFL, KJ Osborne, Jordan Addison looks pretty good. If he can stay healthy, Jalen Naylor, they like him a lot. And Brandon Powell's preseason was very good. I think he's the reason Jalen Rager got waived this morning because he can function as a receiver. He can return kicks and he can return punts. And if Kane Wangwu is going on IR, you know, you need somebody to do both. And I think that Powell definitely was one of the guys who won a spot and definitely solidified this wide receiver group coming into the year. Yeah, it's it's one of the best receiver groups that you could, uh, in theory, hope to have. I think last year, a lot of people expected it to be a high level receiving group. And we didn't see that. We didn't see an additional next step for Osborne. We didn't see, you know, Adam Thielen had begun his decline, um, which, if by the way, if you watch Thielen in the preseason, it it very much feels um, like it might be over for him. So I think the Vikings. Johnny uh, Unitas with the uh, Chargers type, uh, or no, Joe Na- who was on the charge? Joe Namath with the Chargers? Oh boy, it was Joe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Immaculate Joe had, points right there, guys. But had so many injuries at the end of his career. I could, I just believe anything for Namath. But yeah, um, but yeah, uh, it, 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 I, I don't know. Thielen looks like he's done, and I, I think we'd seen a little bit of that decline last year. And so if Addison is 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 going to be maybe. 80, 90% of what Thielen was at his peak, I think that the Vikings could return to maybe having that strength. And if they don't, Addison is just a pretty good rookie, maybe like a seven, 800 yard guy. Um, then they still have like a very diverse and deep group, right? With KJ Osborne. And like you mentioned, Brandon Powell, who looked good basically every single day, day in, day out of camp, and then also had a pretty good preseason and also motivated, like you mentioned, or not motivated, but allowed the Vikings to just kind of move on from Jalen Rager when they needed to make some space for Miles Gaskin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Jalen Naylor, who played very well in spring, you know, before pads come on, before there's contact, early in training camp, and then that injury that it feels like it's always close to being resolved and then it isn't. So I don't I don't know what's going on there. Um, but having Naylor available to you, you know, as as a speed guy that might be able to stretch the field and add a, a, another dimension. Um, it's a great it, it's a great, you know, landscape at receiver. Again, it's one where, okay, you've got Justin Jefferson, he could go for eighteen hundred yards again. You're very comfortable calling him the best receiver in the NFL. Fine. 
you're always going to have a good receiver group if you got the best receiver in the NFL. But beyond that, kind of what it can provide, you know, there's there's some question marks. But I think for the most part, I think people are pretty happy with it. And they've got a reason to be. I think Addison has demonstrated some really high level stuff. And I, I'm going to I would bet on him right to exceed you know, the average expectation for a rookie first round receiver. I think that he looks more impressive than that. Um, so I, I, I like it, but we do have to acknowledge like there are question marks. One of the other positions that I like going into the year is at safety. And I, you kind of ask some questions about the secondary, but, but I like the depth they have at safety right now, because I think Brian Flores, they're listed as safeties, but I think we're going to see them as linebackers a lot. Uh, Harrison Smith obviously comes back. He's a little long on the tooth, but he can still get the job done. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much they have him rush the passer. Cameron Bynum, you know, I think a lot of people kind of expected Lewis seen to pass him this off season and, uh, take that starting job. But I mean, Bynum's intelligence has definitely been a strength and kept him in the starting lineup. Uh, you have Josh Metellus, who is rumored to have that Joker role. Lewis seems obviously there. They're still trying to develop him. And then you have Theo Jackson and Jay Ward. I, I think at the very least, you at least have a lot of physical players that give you some strength in numbers. And if somebody does get banged up, you got somebody to throw in there. I know safety is kind of one of the least valuable positions as far as analytics go, but I like what they're doing. Yeah. And, and honestly, kind of the, the question of how valuable safety is, is actually something that's been bounced around in a bunch of different directions in the analytics community. So it is possible that they're actually a, a quite high value position that NFL teams underdevelop or undervalue, right? Because safety is one of those positions where if you were better at some of the key skills at safety, they just move you to corner and play corner instead because it's a higher value position. So you don't tend to always get, you know, the highest um, talent players in college coming out and, and playing that position. So it is, it is tough. Um, that said, the safety room is very interesting. Like you mentioned, it's, it's a very big room. You've got six players in it. That's not something that you expect. I imagine at some point, if they need to make additional room, right. If, you know, Chris Reed comes back, maybe they don't cut David Questenberry. Maybe they cut Theo Jackson, right. It, it's, it's going to be an area where you could see opportunities to kind of cut the fat if you need to make another roster move. But for now it's, they thought that they just had too much talent, right. Um, so Harrison Smith, Cameron Bynum, everyone expect them to start, like you mentioned, you know, these these other safety roles are often kind of really other positions, whether it's Jay Ward playing nickel corner as well as safety, whether it's Josh Metellus playing kind of linebacker in in dime or 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 big three nickel type roles, or you know, what have you, whatever, right? Like you can you can envision Harrison Smith dropping into the box and Lucene playing high up uh in a three safety set, right? And Cameron Bynum maybe even playing in the slot. Like it, it is entirely possible that the safety group is diverse enough to really, you know, get Brian Flores' creative juices flowing, right? Like he um, has designed a lot of very interesting blitzes over the course of his career. And it's kind of a thing that he's very well known for. And creating these angles in unusual situations that are difficult for offenses to account for, a lot of that can spring from the safety position. Um, like, ha- like and, and more so than at like other positions like linebacker, right? Like if you have a safety linebacker like Foya Luakun, like previously played for the Falcons, now he's a Jaguar, they tend to just bulk you up and play linebacker, or they tend to slim you down like um, like uh, Mark Barron and play you back at safety, right? It, like they don't yeah. tend to love, you know, the, or, you know, what happened with Isaiah Simmons, right? It's just like, all right, you, you played every position at Arizona. That didn't work out, so he's going to trade him. And then now at his new place, he's just played the one position. That's the He's playing that, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the versatility at linebacker tends to be overstated. Sometimes you get somebody like an Anthony Barr where you're like, yeah, that guy can play off the edge sometimes. So we're going to play around with that. The Vikings found more value 
just having him off the ball persistently and then maybe blitzing. With safety, you could just do all of those, right? Like when you see what the Chargers do with Derwin James, they do everything with him. They have him play man coverage, slot, outside. They have him man up to tight ends or receivers. They have him play in the box. They have him play uh, up high. He might be the best blitzer regardless of position in the NFL. And so they have him do that a lot. Safety, you can use that versatility a lot more than you can in other positions. And I think Brian Flores really values that, which is one reason that you've got such a big safety room. Yeah. And and I think, too, you know, kind of wrapping everything up with the roster and that stuff, you know, I think the safeties are going to do a good job complementing the linebackers as well. You bring back Jordan Hicks. You have Ivan Pace Jr., who by far and away was Mr. Mankato this year. Brian Asamoah, a lot of people are expecting him to step up. And then you also have uh, Troy Dye, who has been kind of a stalwart on special teams. I don't know what to think about this team. I mean, the linebacker position, it's interesting because you have a lot of guys who kind of look like safeties, which is where you kind of look at how they could be interchanged. But I mean, you could see what Brian Flores wants in a defense. I'm not sure if he has the horses to like jump up into the upper half of the NFL. But I mean, I think like a even a 10 spot jump to like 20th, I think would be a huge improvement, especially looking at the roster they have right now. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at what Brian Flores did when he, when he started at, at Miami as a head coach the first year, you take a look at that roster, that defensive roster is not good or it wasn't right in, what was it 2020? I want to say, um, not a very good roster. You, you take a look at it and it's like, oh, you got Xavier Howard and it's kind of it, right? The defensive line wasn't as built out as it is right now. Like it's a really good defensive line right now. That cornerback room, even without Jalen Ramsey, that cornerback room has like a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of interesting stuff to it, um, in part because of like undrafted free agents like Kater Kohu. Um, it's, a, it's a good unit now in terms of talent, but in 2020, it just wasn't. And they finished like 16th in EPA per play. And that's because Brian Flores is a gifted defensive mind. And he did a a really good job finding ways to create pressure from a defensive line that just wasn't very good at creating pressure on its own, finding ways to, you know, get the most out of that safety group that they had in Miami, which actually that was kind of talented. And and you had some, you know, downhill movement and they were like, hey, these guys are better moving downhill than they are necessarily being center fielders. So we're just going to blitz them and stuff like that. And so he knew how to use the players that he had and in particular, mask their weaknesses and, and emphasize their strengths in ways that melded with his defensive philosophy that allowed them to be at least functional on defense. It wasn't a good team. You know, like he, they started, you know, trying to bribe him to tank for a reason. It wasn't a good team. But yes. um, the defense that he had coordinated, despite the talent of that team, was really, I think, impressive. So um, you take a look at that. You take a look at the Vikings unit and you say, hey, I'm I'm kind of getting some of the same vibes, especially if half of these, like I mentioned, coin flips earlier. If half of the coin flips don't work out, right? Let's say Mickey Blackman works out and Byron uh, Murphy works out, but Caleb Evans doesn't. Marcus Davenport doesn't, right? So you've got like maybe half of these players aren't really doing the thing that you'd kind of hoped would be kind of your ceilings for them. He's still going to find ways to create production, whether that is, you know, it, it maybe maybe Marcus Davenport just isn't, you know, doesn't have the stamina to play a full game or he doesn't have the pass rush moves that he had. And it's like, well, I've got Ivan Pace and he's not good at coverage, but he can blitz. And so I'm just going to we're going to take Marcus Davenport off the field, put DJ Wanham out there. DJ Wanham's a distraction. I'm going to blitz Ivan with Ivan Pace. Right? He's going to find ways to maximize that roster in ways that I think a lot of other defensive coordinators, especially at Donatel, um, don't really have the capability of doing now again i like you i don't think that vaults the the vikings into the top 10 um and probably not even the top half but i think it's on the table right that they rank better than 20th despite how they did last year 
Let's wrap up by just kind of looking at things from a macro view. Wait, macro, micro, small, macro. I, I write for a living, but I'm just trying to. Don't worry about it. it. Words not head. important. Yes, absolutely not. We we're soon we'll be all be replaced by AI anyway, and we can just uh, go from there. You, you can read about um, that, by the way, at the Wide Left Post Substack. That that's why I mentioned it. That that's a nice little plug, and that's that's definitely in a roundabout way. But this team, the Vikings, the NFC, uh, the owners, they want to be super competitive again. The NFC North is kind of wide open with Aaron Rodgers going to New York. Billy and San Francisco are in that upper class of the conference. But how close do you think the Vikings are to being in that next tier of contenders and maybe making a run this year? I mean, it kind of depends on what you mean by making a run. I don't think the Vikings are close to you know winning the Super Bowl, but certainly I think the Vikings have enough talent to be a competitive playoff team. Personally, you know, if I'm going to project out all the Vikings outcomes and and you know figure out kind of what the most likely is, I think the Vikings are nine, nine and a half win. I think that it's possible they're a 10 win team. The fact that the division might be pretty weak, it kind of depends on what Jordan Love does, whether or not the Lions stuff is sustainable. I'm already discounting Chicago. I'm done. I, I was like, hey, maybe Justin Fields, but now I'm done. Um, that division might make it a little bit easier to grab some wins. But the thing is when, so in the aggregate, the Viking schedule is only slightly tougher than average compared to other NFL teams. But when you take a look at the teams that are pretty difficult, they're really difficult. You, I think you've got both, like you've got the Eagles coming up in week two, but you've got, you know, the chiefs down the line, you've got like some teams that like the good teams are up against are just really good. Right. And so, um, that that is going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard to like cheat a win off of like the Chiefs, right? Like, which I mean, shocker. But like for the Vikings, you know, that's you know that's going to be tough. And so it is possible that they get nine and a half, ten wins, something like that. But I think the most likely outcome is something like nine. Um, they can make a run again if those coin flips just kind of go the right way. The areas where they've got uncertainty, I'm pretty confident that that offense is going to score a lot of points, right? Um, it's not going to be you know top three. But there's a possibility it's top five. Like that is absolutely a scenario to consider. So if you've got a potentially a top five offense and like the 20th ranked defense, let's say, right. And we don't have to be completely optimistic about that defense. Let's say it's the 20th ranked defense. Um, You've got a playoff spot generally, unless the ball bounces the wrong way. You reverse all the luck that you had last year, right? You generally, you're a playoff team. More than that, I don't know. It would be really difficult unless they fake, unless like last year they play another team like themselves. It'd be really difficult to see them winning a playoff game, and certainly I don't think advancing further or deep into the playoffs. So make a run, I don't know. But like you know, I think I think the playoffs are there. I'm I used to be of kind of the opinion like you just got to make it into the dance. Like I've seen the Ravens do it, I've seen the Giants do it twice. You just got to make the dance. I'm done with that. Uh, you got to be good to win. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, like that's just that's just how it works now. The closest in 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 modern NFL history we have to something like that Flacco Joe Ravens run is probably the Stafford Rams run. And the thing is, Stafford was a highly variable quarterback, but that roster was real good. Like it was really good. So it's not really this like that offensive line. I think a lot of people forget because of the state of the offensive line now. That offensive line was fantastic. They had great receivers. Obviously, they got Cooper Cup. They have Aaron Donald. They got Jalen Rams. Like that's a good team, right? Um, And Stafford just kind of played up to his ceiling. Whereas, you know, the Giants team, the Ravens teams, those were just like, sure, you know, why not? You know, David Tyree, (laughs) why not? I guess. So um, I I don't think that it's it's possible to hold on to that hope. So I don't think making into the playoffs is enough for you to like, you don't, 
Like you need more than a chip at the table, right? Like you you need it, a little bit more. If Brandon Powell makes a helmet catch and maybe you know, we get words. a couple of double yeah. toinks and whatever. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe Kevin O'Connell is just like a sorcerer and like, you know, bad things just happen to happen to the other teams and then, you know, they just keep making comebacks and everything else. I like I said at the beginning of this, I mean, I know Kirk Cousins is growing the Hulk Hogan handlebar mustache to try and like channel that interface, but I don't know. I mean, and like, we'll go back to the beginning of the show when we were talking a little bit about Kirk Cousins and stuff. I, I don't hate Kirk. In a lot of ways, he's a lot like Madden 24, where like you play it a little bit. You're like, ah, this is fine. But I mean, you also know, hey, like NCAA 14 is better. I'm going to go rebuild like Hawaii or something like or NFL 2K is dynasty mode. I, I feel that way about this team. Like, I don't hate their chances going into the season, but when it comes to Philadelphia or San Francisco or any of the other mega powers of the NFL, I don't think they're quite there yet. And it's going to take a process to do that. Can they do that by being just nine and eight every year? And then all of a sudden finding their savior in the draft and going up and trading for him? I don't know. Can they do it with Kirk cousins? I, I don't know. Like his play is one of the most interesting storylines this year, because is he going to be more comfortable in Kevin O'Connell's offense in year two and eliminate some of those lulls that we saw last year where, you know, they would go out on the opening drive, shoot right down the field and put seven points on the board. And then uh, Ryan Wright became an absolute star. Just punt, 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 punt. Oh shit, we're down 10. And then, you know, Kirk O'Chain, uh, you know, from the back and throws a couple of touchdowns late. Like, I don't think that's a sustainable formula for success, but that's why they play the games, I guess. Not to use the cliche, but that's that's kind of the theme of the Vikings going into the year. Well, I mean, I mean, that's that's why you like football, right? Like yeah. as as an egghead, right? As somebody who goes through all the spreadsheets and figures out what works, what doesn't work, what's sustainable, what's not sustainable, whether or not the Vikings need to make changes after a winning season. Like all I, I do all of that, right? And it's important for me to report on what I think is the truth about the team. You play the games because the unexpected happens, right? It's not, you know, you don't like stack up everyone's Madden ratings and decide who wins based off of the final team total score, right? You figure it out by play on the field, right? And it's because those unexpected things happen that make it such an exciting sport. And it is interesting because Cousins wasn't known for making the unexpected happen in really positive ways, right? You know, in in, in a Vikings uniform, um, for the longest time, actually, I think even before, might have been 21, um, in a Vikings uniform, he'd only had like one like significant fourth quarter comeback. And it was against like the Broncos, right? Yeah. Um, like, it was just like, oh boy, oh, this is rough. Like and we're then, not and then he had three comeback. or four in like 21. Yeah. Yeah. Because he had, the, and, he had know, the Osborne touchdown and then uh, the Lions won too. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. But right. Yes, and on, and that one, the Vikings were in the most close games in NFL history. And yeah. so like he had, he had so many opportunities to have a fourth quarter comeback that just by chance he got. Some. Yeah. And then last year it was it was all all of those. Right. So uh, maybe it's a growing skill. I don't know. Personally, I don't I don't think it tends to be. The skills that are exciting that Cousins seemingly has developed are, you know, an increasing willingness to improvise and be creative about what he does in the pocket, extend plays when he needs to, or go off of his reads when when it makes sense to you. Something that he's never done. He's just not hardwired to do. It's something he's never done. And it's interesting because in the past, when he has engineered like these really important drives, even I think a fourth quarter comeback in 20, uh, 2021, you know, there's this, this remarkable throw, and I wish I remember who it was against this remarkable throw to Adam Thielen at the sideline. And um, after the game, we were like, man. Packers. That might have been it. Yeah, I think yes. it was that. 
after the, after the game, we were like, holy crap, we've never seen you do that. That was such like a high risk and it worked. What's going on there? And he's like, yeah, yeah I shouldn't have thrown that. And you're like, yeah, you should have. <laughs> what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm never doing that again. And you're like, ah, bud. <laughs> right? It was just like, and so it's just not who he is. Right. And so for him to, you know, be willing to take those chances to understand that at the end of the game, when you're losing an incompletion and an interception are just not that far apart in terms of the final, like you got to throw these big plays. So that skill seemingly is developing. It overrepresented itself in the 11 0 record they had in the regular season in close games. Uh, and I believe was eight fourth quarter comeback, something crazy like that. Yes, um, it was eight. Yep. Um, you know, okay, great. Uh, that itself, that statistic is unsustainable. The skill to be able to generate you know, fourth quarter comebacks comes from a willingness to understand that you need to adjust your play style to situation, something you'd never done before. It's something that Aaron Rodgers actually had a lot of difficulty for most of his career. Like people understand him now to be this Hail Mary maven, to be really good at fourth quarter comebacks. He was so bad at fourth quarter comebacks for the longest time. And I, I think because he was just afraid to throw an interception, he was playing football like the way he normally does. And you don't notice it because he played at such a high level that him playing normal football was like pretty good. But like he had a zero and thirty-seven record against winning teams when down in the fourth quarter, which some of that's the Packers defense, right? Like that's yeah. you know, but um, but like he like he threw caution to the wind and he became a much riskier style of quarterback in that specific situation. And he engineered some of the greatest comeback, much to the chagrin of Vikings fans, some of the greatest comebacks we've ever seen, including like these Hail Marys against the Ravens and the Lions that are just iconic. And um, that doesn't happen in a previous version. So you can develop this skill, right? And maybe Cousins has done that, but other elements of his play got worse last year. So if he can retain the elements of play that, you know, his consistency was off, his accuracy just wasn't as, as where it was usually rhythm and timing where, where it was usually. Um, if he can retain that, grab that from previous seasons, essentially, and retain the ability to improvise and create, he could be a really great quarterback. I'm not going to hold my breath, but like the tools are there. And so you can you can do something. So let's wrap things up. What is going on at the wide left substack? Yeah, so the wide left substack, you know, so I was I was let go by my previous employer and I, I juggled a couple of offers, actually. So um, I was like, should I sign full time here? Should I do freelance here? And um, I talked to a couple of people at substacks, people like you know, Brandon Thorne, people like Matthew Collar, who runs the Purple Insider Substack. And I decided, figured I might give it a chance because um, I, I, it seems like I've developed a little bit of a brand of having a distinctive writing style that people want to follow. And I've been, you know, overwhelmed with the amount of support people have given me. The idea behind it is that I, I don't post every single day necessarily, uh, but I, I do deep dives, like, like 3,000 words on, on a 53-man roster. Yeah. Um, I do deep dives that um, really, you know, you try to get people's money's worth on the Vikings, on the NFL at large, any other issues that kind of strike my fancy. At some point, I'm going to write about, you know, larger maybe social movements and politics, mostly as they relate to the NFL or sports, but sometimes, you know, kind of outside of it, if it feels important enough to me. But it allows me to kind of write about what I want to write about in ways that, you know, in a lot of other situations, it's just not appropriate, right? Like I think for a lot of companies, if, if you're writing 800 word bits of news, which that's a skill, it's, it's very difficult. Um, to be consistent about it and to hit your word count and to hit the SEO at the top and to hit all the important notes and, pat and be information dense. That's a skill. It's not one that I have. And it's one that's really important at a lot of companies, right? That write about football and write about sports. And this one allows me to kind of do kind of the nuanced deep dive stuff that doesn't, you know, search highly and rank stuff. So that's, um, it doesn't do highly ranked in searches. So 
that's the goal of the Substack is to write about whatever I want to write about, which is mostly going to be the Vikings, mostly going to be football. Sometimes it won't be. And uh, the only real promise is I'm, I'm going to make sure that I think about everything that I write. And so far, um, I've gotten a lot of really positive response to it. So that's awesome. And, you know, just so people can keep up with your work, maybe check out the wide left Substack. you know, where could people follow you on, uh, I guess the website formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. So that's at Arif Hassan NFL, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL. Um, that's, that's what I am on X slash Twitter. I'm blue sky. I'm Arif dot B sky dot social on threads. I'm Arif Hassan. Uh, I, you know, it's who knows with uh, who's Wolf, doing what now, you know? Yeah. Right. A mastodon. I, yeah. Right. Like, I don't know. Right. Right. Um, but yes. yeah. Uh, but you can find that at wideleftpost.substack.com. That's got all of my writing and anytime. So I am a freelancer still too. Anytime I write something somewhere else, I will also post it to the Substack um, as a link, not like, I'm not going to, you know, undercut whoever I'm writing for by posting the full article, but I'm going to, I'm going to link and summarize a little bit of my work and let people know. So even if you just get the email newsletter, you'll always have access to the kind of work I produce when I produce it. That is awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, Arif, about the Vikings roster, but that is all the time we have for the Viking age today. We do this every Monday and Thursday right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel. We're also in a podcast form on Apple and Spotify the very next day. But however you consume us, don't forget to rate, comment, like, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. For Arif Hassan, I'm Chris Shad, and we will talk to you next time on the Viking Age podcast. goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.